Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. What's going on, everybody? How you doing? Joe McCall here from the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. And this is one of our final, we might have one or two more podcasts for the Deals Gone Bad series. And this is episode number 20. Can you believe that? Of the Deals Gone Bad series. I'm going to be doing another podcast series next, talking to people about their first deal, their very first deal. So we're going to go kind of from learning from bad lessons learned to learning from good lessons learned, if that makes any sense. So Today, we got a special guest. His name is Derek Dombeck, and he uh, is one of the first guys that I've had on the show talking about note investing. And he had a, he purchased a defaulted note from hell, and we're going to be talking about that. That's got to be a little scary. And I saw actually Derek at a workshop here in St. Louis that a friend was doing just a couple days ago. And so we're going to be talking about Derek some more, talking about his defaulted note that he bought that came from hell. So that'll be interesting. <laughs> Maybe a little depressing. We'll find out. But here's the whole point of why we do this podcast series. I've talked about it before. Sometimes it's best to, you know, we learn, the smart person learns from their own mistakes. The wise person learns from the mistakes of others. Wouldn't you rather learn from other people's mistakes so that you know what to avoid? You know what not to do next time, right? And you can avoid those same mistakes yourself. I'm going to be turning this podcast series into a book called How to Lose Money in Real Estate. And I think that'll be an attractive book that people are going to be interested in. It's just going to be a summary of these podcasts and the big lessons learned. And if you would like to get a free copy of that book before it gets published, then go to joemccall.com slash bad, joemccall.com slash bad. Or you can also text the word bad to 313131. Again, text the word bad to 313131 or just go to joemccall.com slash bad. All right. So with that said, let's bring Derek on. Derek, how are you, sir? Doing good, Joe. How are you? Good, man. Nice. Where are you from right now? Or where are uh, you right now? I live in I live in Wisconsin, small town right in the middle of the state of Wisconsin. Cool. And my business partner and I run our, our business based out of Green Bay, Wisconsin. I love Wisconsin. I, I've been there at least five or six times. And I've spoken at the Appleton RIA, the mm -hmm. Wisconsin RIA, the Milwaukee RIA, at least once or twice. I love going to the, uh, what's it called? Where the big water parks are. Oh, in Wisconsin Dells. Yes, Wisconsin Dells. Beautiful. All right. So, Derek, how long have you been in the business? I started in 2003. And like many people, I started off just buying some fixer-upper rentals uh -huh. and then kind of got into building new construction in 2004 and five and six, and then took the big plunge in 2007 and pretty much lost everything I had and yeah. then some. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yep. It's it's a big club. It's a very big club. Do you think yep. we'll see those days again? I think we're going to see glimpses of it, not so near future. I don't think it'll be to the extent of 07 through 09, but I think a lot of people are going to get hurt. Okay, so you survived, obviously. Did you go back to a, a job or did you were you able yeah, to Yeah, for, fortunately, I, I did not leave my job by that time. So I, my wife, Tracy, and I built up about a $4 million portfolio in wow. our first couple of years in business. We were up to about 29 doors total, but I was the majority of the properties that went bad were in Florida. Like, so I was holding cash flow properties in Wisconsin and building spec homes in Florida. And spec as in speculation, as in speculation, as in 
nothing could possibly ever go wrong. I'm God's gift to real estate investing because I'm a newbie with two years experience. In Derek, life. Isn't, isn't there, aren't you seeing a lot of people like that today? Oh my God, Joe, it makes me so nervous when I see people taking out HELOCs against their personal houses and, you know, thinking that they're too big to fail. And I mean, I, I got that T-shirt. I wore that T-shirt. I don't ever want to wear it again. So it makes me very nervous. I think there's I a big, big lesson just right there. You know, well, I love the series that you're doing for that reason alone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because like if you've been in the business for, you know, I don't know, the last eight to 10 years, everything you touch turns to gold. It's like hard to lose money. And yeah. uh, it's easy to put yourself into this pedestal thinking, man, I've got I got the golden touch. I can anything I touch works. And this real estate investing business is easy properties. I'll always make money. Well, that's just not the case. And what I see right now, Joe, honestly, everybody is bankable. Everybody's getting these cheap interest rates. People that are, you know, I'm in my mid 40s. People that are in their 30s or younger don't know what any interest rate above 5% even looks like. And they're going to freak out when things go back to what I would consider normal. You know, when I started, 8, 9, 10% was normal for a 30 year fixed. So when we got our butts kicked, we were 100% bank financed. Mm -hmm. After we climbed back out of that hole, I have not used a bank for a piece of investment real estate since 2007. Yeah, good for you. Me too. That's our focus. Me too. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, so Derek, what have you been doing since then? So myself and my business partner established a fairly sizable hard money lending business. Primarily, we lend in throughout the state of Wisconsin. And uh, we do broker some deals in other parts of the country, but our focus is in the state of Wisconsin. So we run a full-time lending business. We also run a full-time flipping business, which does lend well to our borrowers because we help them structure deals. We help them overcome challenges if their flip is going sideways, especially since we're the lender and we don't want them to fail. We want repeat you know, customers. And then recently, we've opened up a couple of national mastermind groups. I, I lead three national mastermind groups at this point. I still run our local RIA group. I've been doing that for eight years. So I've got my finger on the pulse as much as I can. Most recently, we took over a cruise, an investor cruise that friends of mine put on for the last eight years. Wow. And that was supposed to go out in January and Royal Caribbean had to cancel it. So uh, we're restructuring for uh, January 2022 for the Generations of Wealth Voyage to leave and looking forward to that. Cool. A lot of your friends are uh, speaking on that cruise. So it's going to nice. be good. I didn't yep. know you were doing that. Yep. Yep. You know, we'll wrangle Sean in and a couple of your other good friends. And and who knows, maybe we'll get you on that boat too, Joe. I'd love to do that, uh, but I couldn't do it without my family. I know I didn't pay you to say this, Joe, but the Generations of Wealth Voyage, the reason it got that name is because we're encouraging people to bring their kids. Mm. And we want people, especially ages 10 through 17, where you know kids can sit in on, on our sessions free of charge. And the reason that came up is because I took my daughter the last two years this was the captains of the deal cruise. That's what it was called in the past. And I took my daughter first when she was 12 and then when she was 13. Nice. And my friend Bill Cook had her up on stage several times during the, the yeah. week. And she has got such a different outlook now on her future. And the point of this, it is for adults. It's a networking and advanced strategies cruise. But we want our kids to start building their network while they're in their teens and when they get out of high school and go to college or whatever they choose to do, they've already got this awesome network, which you and I and a lot of our friends are now building in our 30s, 40s and 50s. But think of the advantage they'll have. So that's definitely our focus. 
That'll be interesting. I'd consider it. We can look at yeah. it. Got to get my wife, convince her to go though. I don't know if she'd well, want to go if, if there's other people that we know. When we take like, our vacations, it's like we don't want to know anybody. It's just yeah. family, no friends, no uh, family, other family outside of ours. And I like that. But anyway, where can people, if, if people are interested in that cruise, where can they go get more information on that? It's just gowvoyage.com, which stands for Generations of Wealth Voyage. So gowvoyage.com. Ron Phillips was slated to speak. Christina Kraus, yeah. Sean McCloskey, Lori Graymont, Donna Bauer, nice. my friend Bill Cook, Jeff Watson. And so they're all committing to come back on in January 2022. And obviously, we got to see what happens with the cruise industry. But as of right now, that's the plan. There's a link right there on the screen, G-O-W for Generation of Wealth, voyage.com. All right. What do you mainly do now? Is it mainly lending and note investing, things like that? Lending is the focus, primarily short-term, hard money to landlords and flippers. Mainly in Wisconsin? Yes. Okay. Yep. All right. And you, you purchased a defaulted note from hell. First of all, explain why would you purchase default notes? What's the attraction or lure for purchasing bad notes? This This goes back to November of 2014. And so we had never purchased a note before. And, but we were already lending. We've been lending since about 2010. So we're originating notes. We understand the space, but really I wasn't seeking this, Joe. It found me and it found me through a friend of mine. His name is Jerry. Jerry was literally the guy I bought my first two duplexes from in 2004. And we just became close friends. He's in my backyard. And Jerry calls me up November, 2014. Jerry and his wife had moved to South Carolina. So they their kids and their family are still in Wisconsin. They kind of commute back and forth. Calls me up and he says, I've got this note. It actually went in default in 2009. Now it's 2014. Okay. He forgot about this note, Joe. He forgot he had this note. And that was because he did a deal with this woman. Her name was Gloria. And he did this deal with her and she had to come to the table with some money and she didn't have it. So she pledged this $5,000 note as collateral and you know, quite honestly, this was gravy on the deal. Jerry really didn't care about it. So he moved, he kind of forgot about it. Well, he he remembered it when the local tax authority was reaching out to him because they were getting ready to foreclose and they wanted him to do the dirty work as the lender or as the note holder, you know, which I understand. They well, don't talk about the property pay. a little bit. What, what kind of property was it? Well, Porter House would be a good way of describing it. Okay. Four bedroom, two bath house on the edge of town. It is not on city uh, water or city sep city sewer. And it was a four bedroom, two bath on an acre of land. So we're looking at, even though we could drive by and see that it, it was a mess, it was a $5,000 note, you know? So well, doing how can you lose? Right. How could you lose? So quick comps, it was a $125,000 ARV at that time. $120,000. 125. 125. In what year again? 2014. Okay. And so the house had a two-car attached garage. It also had a detached three-car garage, again, sitting on an acre of land. Now, this is very run down. So from the outside looking in, I'm thinking forty dollars to $50,000 rehab, sight unseen. So, you know, they'll do those numbers. The note value at the time I bought it was $8,900. 
I bought it from Jerry for four thousand five hundred. So now, when you say the note value was eighty nine hundred, do you mean you that mean was that what was, was owed? owed? Yeah, with interest and penalties. And there's so no, there's other, no note? other note. Nope. This was first position because it was free and clear when Jerry did the deal. She just didn't want to pay her taxes. Sounds like a good deal to me so far. Right. That's what I, I thought. No. So I called up the uh, treasurer and talked to her about what taxes were owed and would she give us time because in Wisconsin, it takes a substantial amount of time to foreclose. And she said, yep, we'll, we'll give you all the time you need because then they don't have to do it. So there's five years of, of back taxes plus penalties, which is pretty common in Wisconsin. They don't foreclose until about year four or five. Okay. And so that totaled $18,621 in back taxes. Oh, wow. So obviously I've got to pay that when the time comes. 18000 Yep. And again, you're thinking that's ah, not a big deal because... Right. Yeah. I got round numbers. I got five in the note. I got 18000 in the taxes and I got to pay an attorney two, $3,000 to foreclose. This is still a, a viable deal. And so were you thinking at the time you would be doing the rehab yourself or were you thinking, I'll just have sell it to an investor who'll do it? Either way. I mean, at that time, we were doing a lot of rehabbing. Now I tend to cherry pick and rehab the really, really good ones. And I wholesale off the, the rest okay. and ideally give them the loan to buy it from me. But um, so again, on the surface, this looked good. Well, I got a hold of Gloria and because I want to sit down with her and see if we could just work this out. Much She's easier. the person living in it. Yeah. Yep. So I quickly found out Gloria is an alcoholic. She's a hoarder and she's got some medical issues. And she just flat out said, I'm not leaving until you force me out. So that was an abbreviated version of the story, but that was the end result. So we filed the foreclosure in January of 2015, took until October of 2015 uh, when I finally took it to sheriff sale. So by the time I took the sheriff sale, the opening bid, again, if somebody buys it a sheriff sale, great, right? We cash out. Opening bid was $10,682. Nobody bid. So it, now it became ours. So that was all fine. That was part of the plan. Now we got to pay the taxes. We're still in it fine. This is where it gets fun-ish. <laughs> she refuses to leave. So now I have to get a writ of assistance from the, you know, get the sheriff out there, give her more time to leave, which took about another 10 days. And in Wisconsin, as you know, it, it starts to get chilly. And, you know, it's November. we got a lot of exterior work to do and we, we need her gone. So I meet the sheriff there and, and I just stayed out of his way. You know, he escorts her out of the property and he said, you can take some stuff out of the house, put it on the lawn and come back for it later. He was being very nice to her. And I remember to this day, I was on the phone, which is pretty common for me, sitting in my truck and the cop comes, sheriff comes up and he taps on my window and he says, have you been downstairs yet? And I said, no, I haven't entered the house. I'm just staying out of your way. He says, you better go take a look. Well, I look at, I get to the top of the stairs, hit the light switch, lights don't work. So I take a flashlight. There's 16 inches of standing water in the basement. And um, it's wintertime. It's coming on winter. Yeah. So I said to Gloria, as she's, you know, taking some of her treasures out of the house, and I mean treasures, I said, when was the last time that this was pumped out? And she said, well, it's been about two years. Um, there's a pump sitting at the bottom of the steps. It works, but I, you know, they would burn out. Essentially, the house is sitting on on a swamp, and the sump pump, I found out later, runs about every minute and a half. Holy smokes. So we got 16 inches of water, and then as I get to the bottom of the stairs, I'm just shining a flashlight. The whole basement is black mold. I mean, it's thick. Remember I said she had health problems? She's yeah. got asthma really bad. I wonder why. Oh, my gosh. So I'm looking around, 
the furnace is submerged in water. The water heater has floated, picked up and tipped over and ripped the wires out of the wall. It's on its own well and septic. So the well is submerged, you know, the wiring for that and shorted out and has been for a long time. So what Gloria was doing was going to her daughter's house and just bringing back, you know, gallons of water for her water usage. And then she was using space heaters in a hoarder house with paths. I mean, you're talking, just watch the TV show hoarders. That's what this was, right? So just when you think it's bad, it gets worse, Joe, because I walk around the outside of the house and the septic tank is collapsed. There's just a big depression in the ground where the tank is supposed to be. And I know for a fact she's using her toilet because she's dumping water, you know, gallons of water into the toilet to flush it. Somebody went in that basement, took the clean-out cover off of the septic line, and she's been dumping raw sewage into her basement for a couple of years. Oh, my God. And, I, and it's bad. Oh, come on. Scott, look at this. There's a guy, Scott. He says, I used to date Gloria. No, he didn't. Oh. She was a hottie, Scott. Good job. <laughs> wow. So, okay. So uh, it's getting bad to worse. It's getting bad to worse. So I went to uh, get a big, what we call a ditch pump. It's basically just a, you know, a big two inch discharge pump. We got it pumped out. And, but now we're at the point where the sump pump, or I'm sorry, the sump pit, again, it fills up every minute and a half. So we, we just kept pumping and pumping. And I, I hired some, a clean out company and they started on the upstairs. They started in the garages. We had four 40 yard dumpsters oh. out of that property. And then we got to the sewage. And, you know, of course, I got rubber boots on. I'm walking around down there because I have to get pumps in there. And my clean out trash out company, we got to the end of what, you know, we agreed on a certain dollar amount for him to trash this out. He got to the basement and he said, there's no way I'm doing that. Wow. So so you're looking at the guy that had to deal with that. So um, you, you couldn't even find a contractor to clean the basement out for you? No, it was a shitty job, Joe. Oh, my gosh. That's but, like, you did it yourself. We were fighting the weather. We were fighting the clock. I, I had to get this under control before, because it was already, at night, it'd be 10 degrees, zero degrees. You couldn't even Not pay right. the guy double his normal normal rate to do it? He wouldn't touch it. He wouldn't touch it. And remember, I had no furnace. I had no working furnace in this house. So I had to get the basement cleaned out so I could get a working furnace in there to even start any kind of sale or rehab or wholesale or anything. And the sump pump is running every minute and a half. And I was literally burning up sump pumps every week. So I understand why she didn't want to keep it going. So at the end of the day, we got it cleaned out. I was not going to rehab this house. You know, you, well, you got it cleaned out. How much were you in it by then? Thousand dollars to the trash out company, probably seven fifty, a thousand dollars to the, uh, you know, just for the dumpsters. Couldn't you have paid them like five thousand dollars to clean out the basement? At the, at this point, <laughs> it, it was disgusting. Well, it wasn't just the sewage; it was the black mold too. Oh, I know. You know, so. I, I suited up, took care of the black mold. Anybody that ever wants to take do their own mold remediation, it's actually pretty cheap. It's a really cool product called RMR86. Okay. And it's just Google rapid mold remover and you'll find it. Okay. And you can order it yourself. You don't have to be a contractor. I've I've taken several mold houses over the years and cleaned them up. They pass, you know, a mold test. Wow. So what, what kind of walls were in the basement? Was it CNU uh, block or concrete block? Concrete block on the uh, sides, and then all the you know the wood floor joists, everything on the on the ceiling of the basement was coated. I mean, it was black. Wow. It was With all that water, though, was the foundation damaged? And, and it wasn't. 
that was the thing. It, it, it was a pretty decent foundation as, as foundations go in Wisconsin. Cause we certainly do have a lot of frost and heaving and things that sure, can happen. Sure. So uh, the one good thing on the house was the foundation. Everything wow. else. Terrible. Well, did you have to do any work outside and around the foundation to get the water away or what did you do with that? Yeah. So again, coming into winter, we, we try and put hoses on to get it as far away from the house as possible. But as it got colder and colder at night, then things were freezing up. So we just essentially made a, with pipes and with some cement blocks and stuff, we, we set a, a ramp to get it as far as we could and get it to go to the ditch near the road. So once it was at the ditch, then it would flow away. But all this, you know, on a $5,000 investment, Joe. So, so how much, how much money were you into it by this time? You got the basement cleaned out. You did it yourself pretty much. Yeah. With the foreclosure costs, with the attorney buying the note. At that point, I was in them for about 12000 which still. The headache factor is not in- included in that. No, no. And you know this as well as I do. What is that taking away from what I should be doing? Like, I shouldn't be slopping sewage. It's opportunity cost. It's like you could Absolutely. be spending that time and energy finding other deals. Yeah. Well, those those lessons are learned now. I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. But All right, so uh, let's talk more about this deal then. What happened? You 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 cleaned it out. The basement is good, and, and you're in the middle of the winter. Yeah, so I, I was not going to rehab this house at this point. If I had to pay to get rid of it, that's what I was going to do. Fortunately, I was still in communication with the treasurer, and she was okay with me not paying those taxes until I found a buyer, which was great because that was 18000 I didn't have to come out yeah. of pocket. But we started marketing it, and I had a, a lot of showings. You're marketing it to who? Just to anybody that would buy it. I mean, I'm trying to wholesale it to an end user, another investor, a flipper, anybody that would look at it. Did you put it on the MLS or just? I did not put it on the MLS. But again, running my own RIA and having the network in central Wisconsin, I had plenty of people that were interested in looking at it. I did not have plenty of people that wanted to take it on. This is a huge project. So what were you trying to sell it for? What price? 40 grand. Okay. So, So in the end... I found a cash buyer. It was a gentleman who was going to cash in his 401k. He wanted to live there. So he was buying it with cash from his 401k and then going to rehab it himself. Wow. And I, I met him at his current house, which was about an hour and a half north of us. And his current house was not much better than this one. Wow. So I signed that contract. We closed and I ran. So he paid um, cash. He paid cash. Wow. Okay, so um, how did you find him? Uh, again, I was mar- I, at that time. I think we were using a lot of Craigslist. I don't think we were still advertising in newspapers in 2015. I don't remember. So you actually made a little money. Very little. Yeah, we didn't come out negative on the cash. Definitely came out negative on my time. But when it was all said and done, pulls and costs, I, we probably put three or four thousand dollars in my pocket, Joe. I, I honestly didn't go back and figure out the numbers because they're that dismal. But yeah, lessons learned. Big time. All right. So what, what were some of the big lessons learned in this deal? What would you have done different? I won't buy a defaulted note unless I can see the inside of a house. Mm-hmm. And I know that for note buyers who do it remotely, that's not a possibility. So my lesson would be, I'm not going to buy a defaulted note that's not in a market. Number one, that I have boots on the ground that can get in. Number two, you know, I was able to talk to Gloria pre-foreclosure and try and work it out with her. And I would always try and that, do that first. Absolutely. Um, but figuring out the condition of the property. Of course, this was worst case scenario and I could probably buy a hundred defaulted notes and never run into this bad of a wreck again. But you don't typically buy notes for $5,000. You're normally paying 50 or 100 or 200 or whatever it is. You know, I was lucky it was small dollars because it, it could have turned 
really ugly, you know, and I, I could have been in a situation where I, I couldn't sell it off as is. Um, so, well, that's cool. A good lesson learned too. And you did this right is you were proactive and you negotiated with the treasurer on the property taxes. So that's another lesson learned. Anybody buying any dealing with any kind of delinquent or defaulted properties, don't be afraid to call the uh, the tax authorities and just say, hey, can you work with me here? And they're happy to work with you, Joe, because they don't look like the bad guy then. And they're yeah. still going to get paid in full. They're never going to discount what's owed to them. Yeah. So who cares if they have to wait another year? They're going to get every dime that's coming to them. Wow. All right. So number one, you would have never, number one lesson learned is never buy a defaulted note unless you see the property first. You get somebody there to see it. Yeah, for sure. Do you think she would have let anybody in it before you bought it? No, I don't because I tried meeting her at the house and she wanted to meet me at a coffee uh, coffee shop. So no. and, And part of that was embarrassment Yeah, because she was a hoarder. Part of it was she literally was intoxicated all the time. I mean, there was more empty booze bottles in that house. She was just drinking away her pain or whatever her, her deal was. Doing this again today, you would still pass on the deal if you couldn't see it. Yeah, because I'm in a way different place now. So I okay. just originate my own paper and, and I know the deals. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would, I never say never, Joe. I mean, every time the phone rings, I love creative deal structuring and, and off the wall stuff. So would I take a look at it? Of course. But I, I would think back to this situation and contemplate things a little deeper than just because I literally my buddy Jerry called me and I said, yeah, that's a no brainer. I'll give you forty five hundred bucks for it. No problem. I mean, I didn't even drive past the house before I told him I'd buy it. Did you did you suspect, though, that she was a hoarder? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you, could you see still didn't it. think it was a big deal. No, I mean, the garage doors, I don't even know if there was garage doors on the attached garage anymore. You could see the garage was full. You could see stuff all over the yard. So I mean, we had accounted for that expense. Certainly the basement and the septic system was the biggest oops. <laughs> Do you think you, you could, think have you could have figured, figured on, on, okay, well, we're going to have serious basement problems. problems. Um, we're going to have serious septic problems and just figure that into your budget or whatever. Could you have done that? We could have. Even after the fact, we could have rehabbed the house and still came out. We would have been into it for about a hundred to one hundred and five thousand all in if it sold for one twenty five. But after closing costs, realtor commissions, I, I wasn't going to do all that work to make five or ten grand. Yeah, it just you know as well as I do that those numbers don't compute anymore. Well, two thousand three, two thousand four, would I have done that when I was first starting out? Absolutely, I was hungry for that. But we evolve. Would you, know? you have bought the note for a dollar? Knowing what I know now, no, no, because really? because I still would have been schlepping shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What are some other lessons learned from this? Your network and your friends in the business are key. I mean, even though I couldn't find anybody to to really help me with the sewage issues, everything else I did was 100% our network. You know, calling in favors for sure. Just getting dumpsters there. At the time, it wasn't always easy to get a, a, a dumpster and get it taken away and brought back the same day. And, you know, I teach negotiations, Joe, and and people think that this business, you don't need to really know how to talk to people. You can just make offers over email or, or text or whatever. To me, knowing how to speak to everybody, your bankers, your insurance agents, your realtors, sellers, buyers, to me, that's that's number one priority. And almost nobody that is new in this business takes any time to hone their skills on negotiating. So to me, that that was a huge lesson and a huge aha for me too, to just keep those relationships 
solid, nurture them and, and take care of them. Okay. Um, any other lessons learned? You know, nothing that really sticks out to me right now. I mean, there's always things that you reflect back on as you go through deals. And now it, it's hard to even remember addresses. We've, we've done hundreds of deals in all these years, but you always remember these, you know, yeah. um, this one was on Cell Street. I'll never forget Cell Street. I've forgotten a lot of other streets, but I will never forget Cell Street. All right. So, what right, advice so what would advice you give to a beginner, Derek, 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 somebody who's interested in, you know, starting to learn how to invest in notes, defaulted notes, things like that? I'll go back to what I mentioned earlier about your your going to your RIAs is great. It's a great place to start. It's a great place to start getting to know people. Yeah. Our businesses didn't really start thriving until we got involved in some masterminds, but the right masterminds, you know, yeah. there are, there are certainly masterminds out there that don't fit. So if it doesn't fit, leave, find one that fits you. Expanding your network beyond your, your local market. Uh, I, myself and my wife were closet investors the first eight years in this business. We didn't, we didn't tell anybody else what we did or who we were. And I think that was a huge mistake. Yeah. I mean, now if I'm getting my hair cut by the end of that 10 minutes or 15 minutes in that chair, that person cutting my hair is going to know what I do, who I am, what I'm looking for, and what I can do for them. Hmm. I tell everybody. So that that would have shortcutted our business tremendously. And and you, Joe, you mentioned the event that we were at just a few days ago. Yeah. You know, sitting in that room with the the caliber of people, and I don't mean caliber from net worth. I mean caliber from integrity and morals and ethics yeah. was huge. Yeah, it was a really good meeting. Some of you are wondering what we're talking about. Sean McCloskey did a, a speaker training workshop three days. And um, were you there the whole three days? Yeah. yeah. It was it was really, really good. I can't agree more, man, getting involved with a good mastermind. And, um, you know, if you don't, if there isn't one in your city, start one. I started one for local wholesalers in St. Louis probably about four or five, four years ago or so. And um, it was invite only. We only wanted to invite people that were already doing deals. And it was fantastic. I mean, we, at first, everybody's kind of nervous. You know, I, I would, we would get 12 to 15 every month on average, just in one of our offices. But by the end, every single session, every time we met for one or two hours, they felt like they, they would say this all the time. I can't believe I'm sharing my secrets. They would say things like, yeah, you know, uh, don't do that. Don't put signs in this neighborhood, right? Or somebody would have a deal they're looking for a buyer for. Somebody has a buyer they're looking for a deal for. Somebody needs money. Somebody got a lead for a mobile home park. They don't do mobile home parks, but there's somebody else there that's looking for that. Somebody is looking for deals in Illinois and somebody's looking for deals, you know, who has a lead not in Illinois. So we did a ton of deals together lent a bunch of money to each other. And these were our competitors. Yeah. It was the craziest thing. And it was really, really awesome. And you know, so it, it, my whole point is join a mastermind. If you don't have one, start one with other people that are like you. And even if you're a beginner, you know, you can't maybe necessarily invite other people who are experts, but start a mastermind with other beginners, right? And try to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, that know more than you. And if you, if you can understand that, that's, I think, a real important key to this business. You know, they say your network determines your net worth, and there's a lot of truth into that. So, yeah. and, and especially if you have a good local RIA. And I know Wisconsin is, is one of the few states in the country that has really good real estate clubs. Yeah. And if you don't have a RIA in your market, maybe think about starting one. Don't think that your market's too small. Would you agree to this too, Derek? Absolutely. Um, don't think your market is too small to start a RIA. You, there's some pretty small markets. I've been to Appleton, which is one of the smaller cities in uh, Wisconsin, and they have a great real estate club, people doing lots of deals there. Cool. Yeah. And even when I started my RIA, I think the first night I had 12 people. 
yeah. you know, and, and we still only average 25 to 30. But the cool thing that I'm proud of this is my RIA by percentage has way more active people than RIAs that have 100 or 200 attendees. Oh, yeah. And so you don't need 100 people in your network. If you have four or five that are active and supportive, you can you can go far. Right. And, and with our mastermind group, and I'll speak to that a little bit, Joe, if somebody wants to start one, my first circle of trust mastermind that I started started because... A bunch of us were in Tampa at a at a seminar. We all decided to stay an extra day and just rent a boat and go hang out on Tampa Bay and cruise around. And a friend of mine said, we should just rent a house once in a while and get together. And that's how it started. So every six months, we rent a really big house somewhere different and we go and help each other. And because we're not in each other's markets, everybody is open to share. That's awesome. And and that's that's actually a rule. I mean, you have to come in and, and be vulnerable. And And as my one friend Kim says, get naked. You know, well, but, we will not add that into our lessons learned. <laughs> well, I it's not that kind of group either, but yeah. um, but it's important. Yeah. So. Cool. All right, Derek, how can people get a hold of you if they're in Wisconsin? Uh, maybe they're looking to invest with you and stuff. How can people reach you? Absolutely. My first name, Derek at best dot com. And if anybody ever wants to just talk about deal structuring, I mean, no charge. I'm not trying to make anything off it. I love creative deal structuring. And anybody's interested in how I run my mastermind, whether you're looking to join mine or just want to know how I started mine, I'll tell you. And of course, the Generations of Wealth Voyage, keep an eye on our website. We do have to update it for 2022. The ship is already booked. We just have to get everything updated. But keep an eye on that. And I just really appreciate you having me on, Joe. And it's always a pleasure seeing you. Derek, thank you very much. Again, your email is Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at bestreifunding.com. Yes, Derek sir. at bestreifunding.com and also gowvoyage.com if you want information about the cruise. And yeah, maybe 2022 I can do it. We can talk about that. But yeah. um, cool. January 15th, Joe. Put it on your calendar. January 15th. We'll see. And uh, um, Sean, Sean's bringing Jen and the kids. So is he? Then yeah. I'm not going. No way. <laughs> Forget it. That'll be All right. He's, he's off if you're on. How's that sound? If, he's, if he doesn't go, I'll go. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Derek. We'll see you. Yeah. Here. Don't forget, everybody, if you want the links and the show notes from this episode, the transcripts and all of that, uh, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, realestateinvestingmastery.com, and just do a search for Derek in the little search bar and you'll find this episode. If you want the book that I'm going to be coming out with soon, How to Lose Money in Real Estate, we're going to be talking about this deal. Go to joemccall.com slash bad and get the notes from this episode and or text the word bad to 313131. And uh, you'll get on my email list when the book is available. You'll be the first to know about it. And uh, we'll see you guys all later. Take care. Thanks again, Derek. Thanks.